0: A global shortage of semiconductor chips is raising fears for disruption in the supply of electronic devices. The shortage has been causing delays in everything from cars, television sets, to video game consoles and smartphones. Just to name a few, Apple's production of the iPhone 12 was disrupted due to chip shortages. Samsung is considering to delay the introduction of the next Galaxy Note. Until possibly even 2022. Despite the slow demand for new cars during the pandemic, car manufacturers nonetheless still cannot keep up with the production due to shortages of microelectronic ICs. NXP, located here in the region, also suffered from production problems in Texas due to severe wintry weather, but may also see problems arise with the foundry they're using in Taiwan, TSMC moreover all the technology that is now being implemented 5g artificial intelligence autonomous cars and all the data storage and processing demands also become seriously at risk and in order to meet the demand tsmc the taiwan semiconductor manufacturing company is ramping up their facilities with multiple orders of nxp lithography machines in there. 100 billion investment plan to outmatch Intel's recent 20 billion expansion plans. And other chip manufacturers also follow suit. Recently, the U.S. President Joe Biden intervened with an executive order to ensure U.S. access to electronic chips. Military sources also warned about a potential Chinese intervention in Taiwan. In fact, a large portion of all chips are being made in Taiwan by TSMC. But this Taiwanese IV manufacturer cannot be accessible for Chinese companies like Huawei, under the pressure from the United States. And with the United States safeguarding the production of US foundries, Taiwan is being squeezed between China and US interests. But where does Europe get its microelectronic chips? All these developments will not only affect the price that you pay for your next smartphone, the tablet, or the TV set, but it may also highly impact the semiconductor companies in the Brainport region, such as NXP, but also may impact ASML. And for us and the listeners, enough reasons to invite an expert in how to make electronic circuits Professor Peter Baltes.
1: Thank you very much, Jean-Paul. Sorry to contradict you, though. uh, I don't know everything, not even nearly. Uh, I have some vague idea how to connect a few transistors, but that's about it.
0: But still, uh, Peter, you could explain to us uh, what does it mean to make an IC? And it's definitely not a single person sitting behind his computer doing a design, pressing a button, and then uh, after a couple of weeks it comes back from the Far East.
1: No, unfortunately not. Uh, It's much more involved than that. It depends, of course, on what you're doing, uh, how complex the IC is, how advanced it has to be in terms of performance. But nowadays, we're really talking about large design teams. It's easy, even for relatively simple ICs, to have design teams in the order of 50 or so designers working for several years to develop a new product, and during that time, Uh, There will be multiple iterations of design uh, always improving it until it's fit to be sold. And every time that you iterate, you need to send your design to a factory to be prototyped. And uh, the prototyping is both expensive because you need to make advanced masks. And it's also time consuming. It takes several months to get return on on your design. Um, So that makes the the whole process both long and, and expensive in terms of making the prototypes, but also in, in terms of the number of people, many years, person years, that is involved in, in doing the design.
0: So you sketch a world where a lot of the intelligence, a lot of the design work is done. For instance, here in BrainPod at NXP, yeah. there are many of these kind of companies, but in the end, these chips have to be made. And that is uh, particularly an, a process that is also terribly expensive. Certainly, Mm -hmm. if we look into uh, the products that ASML is making, there's big demand now for ASML machines, but that's also not something that we can just put here again in the Eindhoven region to uh, help NXP out.
1: Well, one of the the, uh, consequences of Moore's law, I mean, Moore's law, many people know, right? It says that ICs every one and a half years, they get smaller, they get cheaper, they get faster. And that's true. And we are very happy with that. One of the other consequences that's not so often emphasized is that it also becomes more expensive to build the factories um, in which you fabricate these ICs, and it becomes much more specialized to get the small dimensions, to get the high performance, uh, the accuracy, and processing that you need to make them. And um, when when I was young, back in the Stone Age, uh, just about every uh, IC company in the in the top 100 in the world. Had their own state-of-the-art fab because it was not that expensive i mean for a mere 100 million or so you could have a state-of-the-art fab Um, but over time with morse law every next generation the fabs became more complex and more capital intensive you needed more money to build one and as a consequence fewer and fewer ic companies have their own state-of-the-art fabs nowadays there's just a few companies in the world that really can provide the very newest generations of ics because the large investments are only possible for these large companies, really the, the top few companies, and they can make these investments because they can produce the large number of chips that economically justify these investments.
0: And is it by or, accident that, that one of the largest is in Taiwan? Um, it's, uh,
1: it's it's not an, an accident, I think. It is uh, a, a combination of uh, of reasons why you want to have a, an IC fab in a certain location, but it mostly has to do with the fact that you get uh, this um, scale uh, of, of, uh, uh, of manufacturing and TSMC is one of these uh, companies that uh, really went for scale early on. They decided to not make their, just their own ICs, they really opened their fabs up for anybody in the world that wanted to have their chip fabricated. That's that's called the foundry service. And they were quite happy to fabricate that for anybody who was willing to pay their bills. Um, and as a consequence they got a really large volume of RCs that allowed them to have a big turnover and allowed them to do the big investments. Mm-hmm. And that has paid off
0: for them. It's interesting to see that happen in the southeastern part of Asia. Also, on this program, we have Stephen Harianto. Stephen, you are from Indonesia, not from China, not from Taiwan. Do you really see that as one of the strengths of, of a place like Taiwan to be really uh, smart in making this choice and, and then also executing it to become the winner?
2: I think so. So, if you look into the industry, of particularly East Asia, um they uh starting from japan and korea they have already maybe for the from for uh, since the last uh says 60 70 years they've been trying to move uh up chain uh starting from the simple manufacturing in into the more complex manufacturing and i think if you look into the examples of japan and also the likes of taiwan i think they are the two very successful, including Korea as well, three of them actually include the very successful examples of how these companies can improve upon their supply chain and move up into the, let's say, the food chain uh, to try to be able to manufacture things more and more complex. And in particularly, Taiwan has been very successful in building this chip um, empire, uh, that proves them to be one of the biggest chip manufacturers now around the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is concentrated in Taiwan. And we all have heard about the debates of whether Taiwan is a country or just a province of China. We have seen high, uh, high-ranked high admirals in the U.S. Navy warning about a potential intervention in in uh, Taiwan, possibly just for the reason of k- maintaining access to this. But I can also imagine that for the United States, Taiwan is so important, so critically important, that that may really give rise to geopolitical tension. But is, is the activities in Taiwan really so um, important for the entire industry? Is it really that because of Moore's law, there are only a few places in the world and that happens to be in a place that is heavily disputed?
1: Yeah, I I cannot comment on the geopolitical consequences. I mean, for me, electronics is about as complex as I can handle. But the the (laughs) impact of that type of uh, product that that TSMC fabricates, for example, it's huge. It goes in so many things. It's really uh, essential for our way of living. If we really would be without chips, any chips, we would not have fresh drinking water, we would not have food. I mean, it goes way beyond our cell phones. Uh, electronics is in our cars, it's in our bikes, it's uh, in our lighting, it's everywhere. If you don't have chips, we, we cannot live the way we do. And in many cases, we cannot really survive even. So yeah, it's, it really is extremely important to have access to IC fabrication.
2: And I'd like to add uh, a comment on that as well. So China, in particular, also sees this chip manufacturing as a very, very important uh, industry that they have to master in, and that's why they have invested as well uh, billions of dollars in this company, in this new Chinese company called SMIC. Um, uh, currently, SMIC is uh, far beyond uh, the capability of TSMC, the likes of TSMC Samsung or Intel or SK Hynix at the moment, but uh But with the recent U.S. pressure, uh, we have been able, uh, so SMIC was recently blocked from purchasing uh, uh, an advanced semiconductor machine from ASML, for example. So there is this U.S. versus China geopolitical tension indeed. We've also
0: seen that the the importance of being able to make chips has led to industrial espionage. We know the stories from some time ago in uh, the United States about uh, intellectual property that that could have been stolen from from ASML. This is really critically important. And, And if I hear stories that I'm not sure whether it's just a rumor that ASML machines have been disassembled completely in order to see whether they could be reverse engineered and be copied. It is really such a high tech that possibly only one company in the world can make it and then we just have a couple a handful companies that produce the electronic chips is it really a matter of just buying a machine in Veldhoven and then placing it somewhere Peter? or do you believe that there is a lot of knowledge as well from gsmc that would make it hard to uh, to just place machines somewhere else in the world if that's necessary
1: yeah, I, I think it's way more complex the way these these ICs are fabricated, consisting of so many layers that are so critically important to be just right to be highly accurate. Um, I, I'm not an expert in that, right? My my specialty is in designing these ICs, but if I look at these designs and I try to imagine how this will be fabricated, then um, it's it's uh, very clear that it's not just a matter of having the equipment. In the same way as you know having um, a chainsaw is not a guarantee that you can safely bring down a tree, um, but th- that's at a very simple level. If you look at the complexity of the machines required for making ICs, that's many, many orders of magnitude, higher complexity, and you need to do everything just right to get a, ultimately uh, a chip that is giving the performance that we really need. So now the machines are just a, a really important part of the story, but it's definitely not a full story. and um, Companies like TCC, uh, they, they are very worried about this information leaking out. Even using their processes to design ICs, we have to sign very serious NDAs um, that make our legal people frown uh, with all, all the things that are in there, um, just to be able to, to be allowed to get the information to design an IC, not even how they're fabricated, but just the information we need.
0: And when you say we, you mean Eindhoven University of Technology, where you like to work with students and yes. you also like to push forward the frontiers of microelectronics. So you want yes. to try out all these chips exactly at what is not yet known on how they will behave and how they will respond to the new designs.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's uh, of course, that, that is what uh, makes the, the design of ICs interesting, right? If you really try to um, push the design of ICs so that you get all the performance out of the technology that is in there. Because making the IC at the end, um, once you have the design, it's a volume product. Then it becomes cheap. So the, the value of the IC for a large part is determined in one hand the technology for fabricating it, but on the other hand making a design that really gets everything out of, of that technology that's in there. And that means that we have the luxury and the nice job at the university to try that out, how far you can push things, you know, and, and until the point where things break. And, and that's um, very, very nice work to do. And We enjoy that quite a lot. But it means that we have to have access to these advanced technologies, and we have to also arrange for students to have access to that. And, yeah, in combination with that secrecy, that's sometimes a little bit complicated.
0: Mm -hmm. But I I can imagine how technically challenging that is. Um, Am I too critical if I'm then asking the question, for for the benefit of whom is then the university doing work? Because in the end, you're advancing the technology of a Taiwanese company, of TSMC. You may on the other hand also say, well, a local company like NXP can then benefit because they would then know how to use the technology and can make better chips
1: yeah maybe i should have been clearer sorry um so the, the work that we do is not uh, being used by tsmc for their processes i mean the, the tsmc um they don't even know about us and they probably would not even respond to an email if we would send one we don't even try because we're pretty sure they're not interested in the university the work we do is using their technology and pushing it to the limit and that is interesting for companies not companies that fabricate these ics well Indirectly, maybe because it helps them sell more products, but um, it's mostly interesting for companies that design products, right? because they can look at our experience, our, our experiments that we do, and uh, use the ways that we find to get the most performance out of an IC. So indeed, companies like um, uh, Dialog or uh, NXP or uh, Siemens um, and Infineon, I should say, uh, or Intel, these these kind of companies that could be interested in what we are doing for designing the IC not so much for fabrication
0: you already mentioned Moore's law making everything smaller with the new extreme ultraviolet machines from asml much more can be done on an ic is it just a matter of shrinking or else are you also trying to get other parameters up such as not only the digital complexity but also let's say how many radio channels it can uh, handle at the same time yeah
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, So, uh, the the work that we are doing, especially in my group, is the non-digital part. It's, for example, the radio part of of an IC. Um, An IC, in general, consists of a a large digital part, but for connecting to things outside of the chip, uh, whether it's a radio, whether it's uh, controlling an an engine of a car or whatever, you need analog signals. And these analog signals uh, usually have very specific properties. They need to be very fast. They need to deal with high voltages, high currents. Uh, they need to be very precise. There can be all kinds of additional requirements that you can only do in analog circuit design. Now, the part of the IC that is dedicated to analog usually is relatively small, but the impact of that part on the total performance is very high. And so a lot of the effort uh, in our university and also in our group is dedicated to seeing how far you can push the performance of that. And you can imagine, for example, um, People are always complaining about, uh, let's say, the speed of wireless internet, right? That it's always too slow, it's always too unreliable. And that is because there are so many people that want to use the radio spectrum in this one frequency band at two and a half gigahertz and nowadays also at five gigahertz at the same time. But there's a lot of radio spectrum that is not being used at much higher frequencies. If we can push ICs and the transistors in there to operate at these much higher frequencies, then we can make wireless connections that have a lot more capacity, that can deal with many, many more people having much higher speeds. That's just one example of what you can do. But you do Mm -hmm. that by pushing a transistor until it really hurts. I mean, you, you really want to get everything out of there.
0: That story about working on the analog components reminds me of the older days of Philips Semiconductors, maybe also the early days of NXP, where NXP was seen as an analog and mixed signal powerhouse as opposed to the digital and the memory uh, kind of stuff. However, during the debates of um, the acquisition with uh, Qualcomm, it was mainly the security, possibly also the automotive parts, artificial intelligence possibly. To me, that sounds more like digital rather than the analog strength. Uh, Is there a shift uh, away from NXP, whereas the old tradition is still continued at the university? (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think what has happened is that, uh, like in, in many parts of the IC industry, there's a lot of consolidation going on. Right? so NXP bought some other companies and has acquired uh, through that also a larger portfolio of digital components and, and digital technology. So nowadays it's a company that is uh, not solely uh, focusing on mixed signal but in addition also has some quite good digital capabilities. But the nice thing is that they can do both. And you need both. You need advanced digital technology to get the processing power, the, the, the speed, um, the, the uh, uh, complexity and, and uh, operations that you can do. But you also need the analog performance. If you want to make just about anything in, for example, automotive, if you want to do anything in lighting, uh, you always have these strange things that are not purely digital and you need to design them. And to a large degree, they, depend, they, they dictate how well and in the perception of the users and IC functions.
0: Our guest, Professor Peter Baltus with Eindhoven University of Technology, we are talking about IC shortages and what that may mean for the world economy, but particularly for the region here.
1: Radio for brain.
0: From um, the City of Light, Radio for Brainport, talking about technology, talking about microelectronics. And amidst the pandemic, you may want to communicate more. But what's happening? Apple's production of the iPhone 12 was disrupted due to chips shortages. Samsung is considering to delay the introduction of the Galaxy Note, possibly even until 2020. 22 and despite the slow demand for new cars during the pandemic the manufacturers now cannot keep up with the production because they miss the electronic ics nxp also suffered from production problems in texas because of a severe winter but may also see problems because of tsmc in taiwan who is uh, trying to keep up with the demand for microelectronics um, and of course, with the rollout of 5G, we all want to have our new smartphones, an almost unknown company for many consumers, I would guess, such as ASML was called in the press an obscure Dutch country um, uh, company. Uh, Stephen, uh, talking about TSMC, it is a critically important company in the world.
2: Correct. It is, in fact, very, very important uh, next to ASML. Uh, I don't think we can have chips without TSMC. Uh, uh, TSMC is one of the, uh, what we call uh, a chip manufacturers. So a lot of uh, chip designers actually outsource their uh, manufacturing of chips to TSMC. A lot of companies that normal consumers would know, the likes of Apple's, uh, Apple, uh, NVIDIA, uh, Qualcomm, even NXP also um, outsources part of their chips to TSMC because TSMC has all these fabs, uh, what we call them as fabs or chip facilities that can produce chips for these companies, basically. And TSMC is one of the biggest chip manufacturers out there in the world. So that brings us
0: also to what are we doing then here in the BrainPod region? Of course, we make the machines that TSMC is uh, Using right. to make the chips at, at, at ASML. But if TSMC makes the chips, let me then ask the naive question that I've, of course, already asked several times to Peter. What are we doing here if the chips are made in Taiwan?
1: Yeah, we, we design them, right? So they, uh, you, you might compare it to uh, the, the difference between, uh, let's say, making a, a design um, for uh, a vase and printing it on a 3D printer. Right, the, the printing part is the manufacturing, but what we do is the design, how it's going to look like. When I see it's the same thing. Um, when you uh, want to have a certain functionality, right, You have um, I don't know this this, uh, this this clock here, right? Which is a clock and and uh, it has a, a radio receiver for uh, getting the accurate time, and it has a ther- thermometer in there. In the past, this thing would be full of discrete components. You would need many transistors, you would need inductors, you would need resistors, you would need capacitors, you you would need uh, batteries, of course, that's still the case. But now if you open it up, it's just batteries and one chip and maybe one or two external components, and that's about it. Um, That is because we can now integrate all of this functionality, all of these components onto a single piece of silicon. And the design of that piece of silicon, the drawing, of what should go on the silicon, where, so where we should have some metal to connect two parts, where we should have a transistor, where we should have a resistor. These drawings, this design, that is something that we do in ports, and that's done um, by companies around us, but it's also done at the university. And uh, whereas in the past, uh, like I said some time ago, um, there's many, many companies use their own, used to have their own state-of-the-art manufacturing facilities and the design and the manufacturing was much more integrated over time due to the increased need for investments to keep up with state-of-the-art, that has become almost completely separated. And most companies nowadays that do design, only do the design, and outsource the manufacturing to, for example, TSMC, and that's what we also do at the university. Um, I don't think I'm disclosing any secret if I say that the university does not have the budget to build their own fab. I mean, that's completely out of the question. Um, so we do also rely on that and we focus on actually making the drawings um, and that starts from uh, first de- deciding what we want to do then making a sort of abstract design of how it should be and ultimately really drawing like in a paint program part by part the pieces that should be on this on the silicon and that will then be um, somehow created by by uh, a uh, masking making facility on very small pieces of mask right let's let's think about it as a slide from a slide projector if you will as old as me and those masks are then projected by machines from asml onto the silicon and they create the patterns that we really have on the silicon so that's how this machine is uh, the, this chip is made and uh, what our role is in there
0: Radio, and, you, You were making Uh, some analogies. mm -hmm. If I compare that to uh, the design of a complete city, then you need streets and you need houses. But the funny thing is all these transistors on the chip, and there are millions, have been designed already. And also more complex things like a piece of memory or a multiplier have already been designed. So you may naively think it's a matter of cut and paste and just put the whole thing together, rather than designing every small street from scratch.
1: Yeah, and in some ways you're right, Um, so it's indeed indeed like playing with Lego, right? You have building blocks, and you have them in different shapes and different functionalities, and uh, you can even have, let's say, prefab houses or prefab roundabouts uh, from Lego blocks that you can use to make your Lego city if you want. Um, Similarly, for IC design, you have building blocks, and uh, sometimes they are as small as a single consistor, and sometimes they are as complex as a complete memory or a complete microprocessor. Um, and there are companies uh, that, that have become very important in making these blocks available. As designers, we use these blocks. Which blocks we use depend on what we want to make. The digital part nowadays is made, usually made out of fairly large blocks. You get a processor, you get some memory, uh, you get some I.O. Uh, functionality. Mm-hmm. But that is because there's a lot of abstraction possible in digital. In digital, there's some margin in the design. Uh, we work with ones and zeros. And even if the signal is not perfect, and it's 0.9 rather than 1, everything still works. You can still round it to whatever it's supposed to be. It's the analog part, where you cannot abstract very well, because that's where we need to push things to the limit, Um, And that's where every part is really handcrafted down to the level of transistors, and sometimes even within the transistor. Um, And that is needed to get this performance out. To give you a feeling, um, if you buy uh, even an advanced laptop right um and you have one of the the best i9 processors in there then that one can for short uh, periods of time can run at a frequency of just over four gigahertz and the same technology from tsmc and analog nowadays we make circuits running at 140 gigahertz that's because we really push things to the very limit and as a consequence we cannot use large building blocks we really have to go in there and fine tune each and every piece. But that's a different kind of design depending on what you need to achieve. Mm-hmm. And in most ICs, you have both. You have large parts that are digital, and you have some critical parts that you handcraft and that are analog.
0: And that is a strength of the region, that's a strength of your team traditionally in the Eindhoven region. If I compare that to the new kind of um, processors, which may not be hard zeros and ones, but more. Um, neural networks more artificial intelligence is that uh, more of a kind of a digital design or does it come closer to analog design then do we need completely new design processes for that
1: i, I think we are moving uh, in that direction yes so thus far many neural networks are actually software simulations of neural networks on a, on a general purpose processor but you see that that becomes very slow very power hungry and people are looking at more optimized imp- implementations uh, at first, still digital like, but more hardwired, less general purpose. Uh, but there's also already people working on um, more analog like ways of implementing neurons in a neural network. And even some people, uh, even at our university, uh, that are working on making hybrid biological and silicon uh, neural networks. So uh, we might need indeed very new technologies for that. If we
0: look into the strength of this region, basically, I asked that question once to Jan Lecun, the inventor of the neural network, the inventor of artificial intelligence. Uh, The story goes that he was asked by Mark Zuckerberg to uh, tell him what artificial intelligence could mean for Facebook. And we all knew what Mm -hmm. the consequences of that were. But when we asked him, what would you advise the BrainBot region, the Eindhoven region, to do in artificial intelligence? Then it was not the applications of artificial intelligence, just reusing the same theories, but go for the hardware. And we do see yeah. a number of companies who are exactly going into this direction.
1: Yes, as well as university. Right? So there's also work at university in this area. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the strengths of this region. Um, that doesn't mean that you should not also do software, to be precise, and that yeah. you should not also be involved in applications. But I think one of the core strengths of this region historically has been the hardware and especially the, the fine-tuning the really high-performance uh, stuff uh, that, that is uh, where we, at least historically, have done some really excellent work. And as far as you can see, we are very, working very hard to continue that far into the future.
0: Can we use the same technologies as, for instance, offered by TSMC and that is produced by machines from ASML? Or would we go for a completely new direction?
1: I think we will see that over time, so uh, uh, I already mentioned it a few times, the investment of developing new technology is high, it's extremely high. It's not just building the fab, buying the machines, Um, it's also learning how to use the machines to to make the chips that we need. And if we can find better ways of making chips, better manufacturing processes that are optimized for AI, and there's at the moment still a question, but personally I, I do believe that's true then to justify that investment, you need a certain volume. You're not going to do that for a university that will just want 10 samples and then destroy eight during testing and have two to publish. (laughs) That's not economically feasible. You need to have um, at least the, the vision, the belief that you will be able to sell tens of millions, hundreds of millions of these per month to justify the investments of developing a special process for it. And then you have to believe that it will grow from there. If you don't believe that now, you're not going to make a special process. So I think what we will see over time is that we will start out with the existing processes, but use them in different ways. And during design, we will uh, go more analog, we will go more uh, specialized devices, uh, we will use the interconnect in different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And then maybe we will uh, see some use of specialized processes with special features and maybe they will become an, we will get an option on an existing process that will make it possible to make even more efficient AI. And if that allows the volume to grow, at some point it becomes economically feasible to really develop optimized size processes, even in TSMC, But my personal belief is that's still far away.
0: I've seen over and over that uh, people underestimate what it takes to make an IC. Even the simplest IC may uh, cost an investment of a couple of million before you have the designs done. Certainly to design a 5G um, chip that is much, much more. And that's what the, the, the larger companies now, of course, aim for because that's where the main money is. But still, I'm a bit surprised if I hear you say artificial intelligence at the moment is not big enough is not promising enough to make a special IC or IC process for it.
1: Yeah, because how many ICs would you need for <clears throat> implementing the current uh, artificial intelligence in such a way that it really becomes noticeably better, that it pays off. Currently, artificial intelligence is mostly in big server environments, right? It's, it's with Google, it's, it's with Facebook, it's, it's with... Uh, companies like that, um, and there, are sure it would be nice if they would consume less power, they would be really happy. But how much money is it really worth to them? That is, when you look at the cost for developing an IC process, that's really different. At the cost of building an IC fab for that, we're talking many, many billions. You need a really significant electricity bill and a real belief that it will go down a lot in the near future. To recover that kind of investment, um, I think it will happen, but it probably will happen when we start seeing more and more AI in the edge right in, in small devices. when our phone does not necessarily need to communicate with a server farm with a, a big server uh, farm in, at Google to interpret what we are saying to Google Assistant. it's when that's being done locally. then it becomes really important to have something that's power efficient, that's cheap, that's reliable. That doesn't really empty the battery after three or four commands, right? And, and to make that possible, then you need really large quantities. We sell more than one billion phones a year. I mean, then you, you talk about serious quantities if you can get it in there. But um, that might take some time.
0: Nonetheless, Thanks. we see Moore's law accelerating. We see the continuation of the processes, but maybe that's much more of an evolutionary process where every time there is a little bit more functionality in the smartphone, and then you can extend what you have already been doing. This revolution, apparently, where you have to start from scratch and then go for the volume and suddenly compete with the 4 billion wifi chips that are made a year, that is a big step. That's what we see all yep. the time. The, 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 the large volumes that you need to to have these processes going but then still in this region we are investing in photonics and that has to go through a kind of similar process and i almost would yes. then think but there must also be huge thresholds before that is gonna fly
1: yeah that, and indeed i mean it's um it's really important that we do that right i mean there's no doubt that we will need something that allows us to go much beyond what silicon will be able to do because at some point silicon is going to run in such large physical and economical barriers that it's going to slow down more slow and we will need something for beyond that. Um, But if you do something that is really new, um, then the investment needed for that and the time needed for that is large. And um, I'm very glad that in Eindhoven we already start working on this so that we will have a technology um, that is giving us something new and something exciting and something that will really open up new possibilities at some point in the future. But um, it's my yeah, it, it, it will require so much work, so much investment, that we should not expect that to happen next year or the year after. That, that will take time.
2: By that, do you mean quantum technology, Peter?
1: I, I was talking about photonics, but quantum is basically the same thing. And what I see is that silicon at some point is, is going to slow down. And that opens up the, some, some opportunity for new technologies. We need something new. In the same way that we needed something new after vacuum tubes, at some time we will need something new after silicon. Um, but I'm not even sure which one of these technologies is going to be dominant, whether it's going to be graphene, whether it's going to be uh, opti- optical photonics, whether it's going to be uh, quantum technology, whether it's going to be all of them in different combinations. I think nobody really knows for sure. We all have hopes, we all have expectations, but we don't really know. And so it's important that we develop these technologies, that we explore them, that we see what can be done by them. But when you look at the phase where this technology development is now, and you compare that to the history of silicon, then it's really still early days. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And that's not to say that this is not important or that we should not do that just the opposite we should do that and we should invest in that and we should work harder and faster but even then it will take time
2: if you have to give a number um, uh looking at the end of morse law and looking at the end of silicon how many years how many years are we are we away from it
1: now, this is a sensitive question because not all my colleagues at university have the say, would give the same answer to that. I'm sure my, some of my photonics colleagues would have a different number in mind. But if I look at this um, and I compare the stage where photonics is now, for example, right, and, and I compare that where we were with silicon when I was young, it seems to me like if you need to bring um, photonics or quantum technology to the level of maturity where you could really replace mainstream things in mobile phones or in cars i think yeah we we'll, it's it's more than 10 years it's maybe 20 years right it's, it's really a long time and we need to fill that gap we need electronics for all that time and we need to push electronics even harder to fill all the needs of people until we have replacement technologies that can take over and do even better that's um, i'm not going to retire i'm going to keep working on this because i want to see that change right but we we will need for Quite some time work really hard to in parallel develop new technologies really breakthrough new technologies and keep pushing and squeezing silicon technology until it really hurts right until it really can do what we needed to do and it's oh. going to be an exciting time
0: are we Cherishing our strength in microelectronics enough in this region? Uh, Are the students that you educate uh, finding their jobs easily, uh, Peter? Or uh, is there too much attention for the the new kid on the block?
1: No, I I think the students have a difficult time because they have to choose between several offers usually. So uh, in that sense, it's not easy for them, but uh, they always find a job. I mean, and they find a job many months before they graduate uh, unless they really don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not like there's no appreciation for the students that that uh, look into this field. And that's not just in Eindhoven, um, in Eindhoven we see fortunately a, a large number of students that choose this kind of specialization. Even then it's not enough, but we also see that in the world there's a lot of rising interest in designing ICs and especially the kind of high performance design that we do um, for example uh, we, we are teaching now an, an online course and we see that we have now more than thousand students attending that course worldwide because people are interested and and for a good reason i mean it really is exciting it's, it's almost like driving a formula one car right you need a very good car but you also need a really good driver
2: what about, if you talk about high-performance uh, chip design, of course, you talk about it being more powerful, being faster, but what about sustainability?
1: So, it's sustainability? Oh, yeah. so I missed the last word. Okay. Um, yeah, that that is uh, a, a good question. Actually, the, the chip itself, it's not such a big deal, right? Because if you look at the uh, amount of material in the chip, it's nothing. I, I happen to have one hair... Um, that I, I happen to know because I I actually found a scale where I could weigh it. This chip weighs um, 0. Points, uh, sorry it's 0.2 cubic millimeters and it weighs 1.6 milligrams. Right? I mean, in terms of materials, um, it's as sustainable as anything. Right? Because the, uh, of course there's energy required to process it, but I don't think that's. These are the big. Sustainability is more in, for example. Um, the fact that we need so many different designs and so many ICs. We, we find that we can do more and more functions more efficiently electronically. Things that we used to do mechanically, like a car, right? We, we had mechanical cars, now we go to electrical cars. Um, used to have mechanical um, still picture cameras, now we have electronic cameras. We see more and more things that can be done better electronically. And that is because you can make all this complexity very reliable, very cheap, Uh, very efficient in an IC but as a consequence we need more and more ICs and these ICs need to be designed and that is a sustainability issue as well. At some point we will see that we um, not just have a limitation in the production of ICs but we also have a limitation in designing all these different kinds of ICs.
0: What I don't hear you say is the power consumption of the ICs themselves because the the amount of energy, there used to be uh, people say that 20% of the uh, world energy goes into lighting that has been reduced uh, even below 10% by now. But the amount of energy that goes into the internet of things and in all our devices around us is also tremendous.
1: It is, is. yes. But on the the same time, um, it's also, it's true that it consumes a lot of power but it's also part of that is a shift. Look look at electrical cars. Yes, they consume a lot of power, but instead you replace a lot of um, the the traditional fuels by that. If you look at Internet of Things, if it allows us um, by using very low power sensors to really optimize the heating of our houses and save 20 percent on the heating bill, you you can easily pay for the batteries for these sensors. So I agree that there's an energy consumption issue and it's I'm, I'm not denying it. I mean, it's it's real mm-hmm. and we need to look at it. But it's not um, the complete story to just look at the energy consumption. You, ne- you need to look at the complete functionality that is implemented now in electronics that used to be done in other ways.
0: And there are, of course, a lot of good examples for that, saving energy by making smarter buildings. Um, but the amount of computations to do to pay with one Bitcoin... Then I would rather just give someone uh, a few coins in change, rather than uh, um, have these tremendous power consumptions there. So we go to yeah. a world where indeed we can do more, and of course also yeah. more is being uh, done. Eh? More being
1: calculated. Yeah, and calculated. I, I, like I say, I mean it, it's it's real, uh, it's a real concern, and we're doing some things in real convoluted ways. In bitcoins that's intentional, right, So that that's uh, make sure that there's value in them. Uh, but some things is just plain crazy. Um, When I was young, I just couldn't believe that people would pay 100 guilders to have remote control sitting on the couch, switch between the three television stations that you could receive at the time. Um, Nowadays, I have trouble believing that people give a command to uh, Alexa that then through the internet travels to the other side of the world, goes through some AI algorithms to be interpreted, Then a signal comes back and through even more chips ultimately turns on your light. I mean that's completely crazy. Um, So yes, we are doing things in strange ways that is something that we really should reconsider I think. But that's not um, fortunately not the case with everything, right? We, We do some strange things, but we also do some smart things and we probably should do more smart things and fewer stupid things.
0: And then suddenly, suddenly there is a shortage of these microelectronic ICs. ICs. That was the reason for um, inviting you. So uh, we see that there is a lot of consolidation and that basically a few factories in the world are um, determining whether or not we have our chips uh, available. That is a situation where I still would be very interested to see um, whether that would have consequences for this region, for uh, companies like NXP, or that it is in the end something that is uh, resolvable just like the blockage of the Suez Canal could be resolved. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, okay, I think you can resolve many things in the end, right? So uh, there are consequences then there's a shortage of chips i already mentioned that chips are in many more things than than you realize and we, we are so used to thinking about smartphones yes they are important but it's also in modern lighting it, it's also in many of our industrial processes it's in agriculture it's everywhere if we have a shortage of chips we really are not just lo- losing the luxuries of life we are starting to lose the essentials of life as well if you're not careful so I don't think it's possible to overstress the importance of a continuous, continuous chip supply just for surviving, and especially, you know, the the, the really nice cherry on the on the cake is having a luxury life, but even just surviving is essential to have enough chips. Um, for companies around there, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I can imagine, just purely hypothetical, right? I'm not talking from real examples, but if you have invested all these millions and all these hundreds of many years in designing this perfect chip and you have your customers lined up that want to buy it and then you learn that there's no capacity in the factory to actually produce it that would be slightly frustrating i would expect
0: our guest tonight professor peter baltus Later, when we invited you, I announced that also on LinkedIn. We got quite a number of uh, thumbs up for having you explain how the IC industry works. So we have Francis Wim van Houten saying uh, that it will certainly become an interesting interview. I think that has been the case. I would like to thank you for that. We have Debashis Dahar saying that he uh, liked very much to be doing a PhD under your guidance. And uh, Major Saroda said, looking forward to hear your view on, on this. Many people who see you as someone who is educating the region in microelectronics, Some, uh, final words about uh, the future of microelectronics
1: in this region? Uh, Well, first of all, I I would like to thank everybody for the really nice and undeserved comments. I I, I don't think I can live up to this expectation, but what I do think is that uh, we can have a really nice future here working on microelectronics. I think this is a really exciting area with lots of really cool, smart people that can do wonderful things. And we have the industry around us uh, to, to make that actually happen. So I think I'm very lucky to live in this time in this part of the world. Because I'm very glad for the invitation in this program.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Peter Baldus.